We're going to get back into Philippians today, and we'll read a text there in just a few minutes, but I thought it was necessary because we had a few weeks off to kind of refresh our memories about what we're looking at when we look at the book of Philippians together. Remember what's going on is the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the people of Philippi, what's happening? That basically this short little letter we call the, the book of Philippians, remember that book, if you're unfamiliar with this, the way the Bible works, it's actually a letter that the Apostle Paul, which is an early church leader, wrote to Christian people who lived in the city of Philippi. That's why it's called the book of Philippians. It's the, the Apostle Paul writing to them, and what this little short letter is, it's only four chapters long, is really a thank you note that the Apostle Paul wrote to the Christians in Philippi while he was in prison. He was awaiting to see if he was going to get executed or not. And in the end, he ends up getting that at this time, but later in his life, does get executed for his faith. But he's in prison waiting, and he's writing them a thank you note because they had been his faithful ministry partners for years. And also, while he was in jail, they had sent money to support him because the way jail worked back then um, was that if somebody didn't bring you food, you didn't eat. And so he was in jail, and they, were sent, they had sent money, and a, a man brought that, that food or that money to buy him food and provide for him while he's in jail. So Paul's writing him a thank you letter, and as he's, his, he's their spiritual father, their spiritual mentor. And what he's doing in this section of Philippians we've been looking at the last four weeks or so is he's encouraging them to live good and godly lives. He's like their spiritual father saying, listen, this is how I want you to live. And, and he said this, he said, live lives that are worthy of the gospel. In other words, live lives that give honor to God since God has done so much for you. He saved you, he rescued you from your sinful lostness, and he's given you a path of life and you have eternal life in him. He, through the sacrifice of Jesus, he's saying live a life that's, that's worthy of of the gospel. And in the last few weeks before my vacation, we were looking at how Paul explained what a life worthy of the gospel looks at, looks like. In the section, we're just going to come to two verses today. The section we come to today um, is Paul does something interesting. He explains his motivations. He explains why he is so passionate about getting the Philippian people, and then also you and me, to live good lives in good relationships with Jesus. Somebody could say, well, why does he care about anybody else? And in his little verses we're going to look at today, a couple of verses, he's going to explain why. He's going to explain what his motivation for ministering to the Philippian people, what our motivation should be for ministering to anybody. And I think something's going to happen. His motivation that he's going to explain might surprise you. It might be something different than you think right now. And I'm, I'm kind of I don't know if I hope that happens. I hope we understand it maybe already. But I hope that what's going to happen is we're going to see his motivation. We're going to understand it. And it's going to help us evaluate our motivations for why we do what we do. So let's look at just these two verses in Philippians chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. And we're going to talk about Paul's motivation. So it says, verse 16, holding fast. Remember, this is in the middle of a thought about living a life worthy of the gospel. He says, holding fast the word of life. So that in the day of Christ, and that's very important right there, we're going to spend a lot of time on that. So in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. Remember, he's writing it rejoicing while he's in jail. And you too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Now, 
there are three things that I think that we need to point out and I need to explain here to help us understand Paul's motives. Because realize this, understanding Paul's motives better should help us look at our own motives more clearly and maybe do this, maybe push us toward a different life path or reinforce the life path that we're on. And I want us to understand when we gather together, on a day like today or any day, what we do here has real eternal significance. And the life decisions that you make today not only affect today, but they affect tomorrow, and they affect eternity. And that's what Paul's going to be dealing with in this section. So this section of Scripture that we're going to look at today, and as we, as, we, as we break it down and look at it, is not necessarily this big shouting one, although it really could be because it should be shouting saying, wow, I can make changes now. I can live my life now in a way that literally has eternal significance. Because that's the kind of verses we're looking at today. Paul's talking about his motivation. Why does he do what he do? Because it has eternal ramifications to it. So there's three things that I think we need to understand here. The first thing is here is that we need to understand is this. Paul in this verse, verse 15, verse 16 rather, uses this phrase, and this phrase, it's going to take us a while to unpack it. This phrase means so much about why he does what he does. He uses the phrase, the day of Christ. Look at verse 16 again. Holding fast the word of life, which was a thought from the previous sentence. We actually looked at that, that phrase in the last sermon. Holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain. In the day of Christ. We need to understand this first, this idea that in the day of Christ, in order to understand Paul's motivation for ministry and really our, what should be our motivation for life. Paul wrote, holding fast the word of life so that in the day of Christ I will have a reason to glory or to celebrate. So what's Paul mean when he says the day of Christ? What's he talking about? He's referring to a day in the future when Christian people will give an account to the Lord for the lives they have lived in the here and the now. It's not an unusual concept. It's actually all the way through the, through the Bible, all the way particularly through the New Testament. Think of Jesus. You know, Paul's saying this in the day of Christ, referring to this day when Jesus will come, will stand before him, and he will literally judge our motives and our actions. But that's not a, a, new, a new thought to Paul. Jesus, think of this, Jesus in so many of his parables referred to this event over and over. Think of some of the, the themes of the parables that Jesus told. He told parables a lot about like where there were workers who were given resources. They were given talents, one, 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 five, one, ten. They were given resources, and then the master would go away, and then the master would come back, and ultimately what happened? The people would give an account to the master, to Jesus, for what they had done with what they had been given. And some were rewarded, and some were chastised. Jesus talked about in his parables, people being separated, evaluated based on their life, separated like sheep from goats. Some who lived their lives well, lived their lives properly, he'd say lived their lives worthy of the gospel, were rewarded. Others who didn't live their lives properly, in Jesus' parable, suffered loss. These parables of Jesus were looking ahead to a, a day when he would return and all people would give an account for their lives that he, Jesus, will judge every single person justly. 
Now, throughout Paul's letters, he regularly refers to this coming day. And he sheds some light on what that day will be like throughout his letters. And I want us to, I want us to unpack this a little bit and, and understand this a little bit today. So, so grab your Bible and open to the book of 1 Corinthians with me. We're going to look at three different sections in the book of 1 Corinthians because Paul is going to shed some light on this idea of what he means as the, by the, the day of Christ, the day of the Lord, when the Lord's going to come back and, 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 and evaluate what we've done in our lives. So there's three things we're going to see from Paul as Paul wrote the book of 1 Corinthians. Three things that we're going to see that Paul says from 1 Corinthians about this day of the Lord that are really important here. The first thing is this, the day of Christ for the Christian, for the person who, who knows Christ as Savior and Lord, is not about salvation. It's not about eternal life. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. He says, I thank my God always concerning you, For the grace of God which is given to you in Christ Jesus, that everything you were enriched in him in all speech and in all knowledge, even as a testimony concerning Christ was confirmed in you, so that you are not lacking in any gift, awaiting eagerly the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will confirm you to the end, blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. What's Paul saying here? Paul reminds his readers, he reminds us, if we're followers of Jesus, that the day of Christ, he says the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, is something, he says here, that Christians are to eagerly wait for. That because salvation is a gift of grace that one receives, not as a result of works, Christians then can eagerly await, can eagerly look forward to the day of Christ's return and judgment. So that's what he's saying. He's, listen, you will stand blameless before him if you're a child of God on the day that Christ confirms you in the day of the Lord. So that's the first thing we understand about the day of the Lord. It's not about saying a day is coming if you're already a Christian when it's going to be determined, are you saved or lost? No, you're determined that now by receiving Christ as Savior and Lord. It's not a result of our works. It's faith. It's asking Christ to be the Lord in our life. It's changing positions. It's saying, I was born where I'm ruler and Lord of my life, and I recognize that, that the way this really is is that God is ruler of all things, and what I do in salvation is I come under his lordship. I say, you're God, and I'm not. And salvation puts myself in that position. It says, I want to follow and serve you. And you're my Savior and my Lord. And I, I need you to, 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 what you've done for me, dying for me, to pay for my sins. I receive that. Paul's saying, that's been settled in the day of the Lord. You don't have to fear that coming. That's been settled. But he says more about it in, in, uh, in the letter he wrote to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. Second thing we see from 1 Corinthians is this. That the day of Christ, that Jesus will shine his light on our lives and evaluate what we've done. He'll evaluate our motives. Look at chapter 4, verses 1 through 5 with me. He's talking about himself here. He's kind of defending himself to the Corinthian people here. He says, Let a man regard us in this manner as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. In this case, moreover, it is required of stewards that one be found trustworthy. But to me, it is a very small thing that I may be examined by you or by any human court. In fact, I don't even examine myself. For I am conscious of nothing against myself. Remember, this is Paul writing about himself. Yet I am not by this acquitted. But the one who examines me is the Lord. 
Therefore, do not go on passing judgment before the time, but wait until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the things hidden in the darkness and disclose the motives of men's hearts, and then each man will praise will come to him from God. What it says here. Here Paul is writing about how he's not concerned about how others evaluate him or his ministry. They've been criticizing his ministry. And he's like, I don't really care what you think about me. Rather, he knows a day is coming when Jesus will bring all things about his life and our lives to light and disclose his and our true motives. And based on what that reveals, each person will receive praise from God or not. Paul is showing us that the day of Christ will be a time when excuses won't work. And I think that's one of the great things to take from this today is that the day of Christ, when Christ evaluates perfectly our lives, it's a day when excuses won't work. We're masters at making excuses for ourselves. We're masters at fooling other people. But Paul is saying the day of Christ, there's no fool in God, that he's going to reveal our true lives and our true motives. Excuses won't work when our hidden activities, he says, will be brought to light. So Paul is saying, don't lie, you know, don't live a lie. He says, if you if you're live your life to fool others, you're really only fooling yourselves. Fooling others isn't really all that important because none of us will give an account to other people. We will all give an account for our lives directly to Jesus, the perfect judge of all people. And let's remember again, this isn't pertaining to giving an account for salvation. For the child of God, that's been settled. This is about what eternity is going to be like. And in God's assessment of our lives now, he's saying, will affect our lives then. That's the second. Look at the third thing that Paul says from 1 Corinthians about the day of Christ. He says this, um, our eternal reward will be based upon the life we live now. Look at verse chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, verses 10 through 15. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, Like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it. For no man can lay a foundation um, other, other than the one which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is to be revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If a man's work which he has built on built on it remains, it will receive a reward. If a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved just so as through fire. What's he talking about here? Our works are like wood, hay, straw, versus gold, silver, and precious stones. Paul says a man's work falls into one of these categories in God's sight. He says that each of us will have our life work evaluated by God on the day of Christ. And notice what he says in verse 15. Look at this. If a man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved yet so as through fire. He's saying it's not about salvation. It's about eternal gain or loss. 
Those who live a life where their work is considered gold, silver, precious stones, he said, will receive reward. And those who live lives where their work is considered wood, hay, or stubble, well, it says it'll be burned up. They will suffer loss. Their work will be burned up, but they will still be saved. So Paul is, what he's doing here, he's obviously encouraging those he writes to to live their lives in such a way that when they stand before Jesus on the day of Christ, that their works will be considered gold and silver and precious stones, and they will receive an eternal reward. Does that make sense so far, this idea of the day of Christ? Yes? Okay. Now, it's based on this understanding that Paul um, has about the day of Christ, that he then wrote what he did in Philippians Chapter 2, verses 16 and 18. So go back to Philippians 2, 16 and 18, and let's reread it. Holding fast the word of life, so that in the day of Christ, I will have... Remember, the day of Christ is the day when Jesus is going to come and he's going to evaluate us. Things will be lost, things will be gained, based on our life, based on our actions, based on our motives, so that in the day of Christ... I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain nor toil in vain. But, in, but even if I am being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and share my joy with you all. You too, I urge you, rejoice in the same way and share your joy with me. Knowing that one day his works would be evaluated as silver and gold or wood, hay and stubble, Paul wants his ministry efforts to produce good results in the lives of the Philippians. He's worked hard to help them know Jesus and to live lives worthy of the kingdom, knowing that such effort is not running in vain or toiling in vain. Paul knew that his effort in their lives would result in eternal reward for himself. Now that might be surprising to you. When I said his motives might surprise you, this is what I was referring to. Paul worked hard to see good things happen in the lives of the Philippians, knowing that if good things happened in their lives, his work, he worked hard and good things happened, that the results for himself eternally would be positive. Now that may surprise you. Paul is showing his motives here. Obviously, he wants the Philippians and all people to know Jesus and to serve him well, But he revealed here that he's also motivated by the reality of eternal reward. He didn't want to run in vain, he says. He he wanted to have good fruit that resulted in an eternal reward for himself. He says, because of that, I have reason to glory. Because I want to receive something eternally for doing this. And the thing I want us to see in all of this is that Paul clearly cared about the reward that he would receive on the day of Christ. And the reason I need to point this out is I think many Christians have a problem with this. Many Christians would say, well, I don't do it for the reward. Paul says, I'm doing it for the reward. Many Christians have a problem with this. They think life and ministry should be altruistic. You know what that term means, altruistic? It means you should do whatever you do should be done without any concern for yourself and only for the benefits of other people. Sounds very noble, doesn't it? Well, everything I do, Pastor Mark, everything you do is just done for everybody else's good. 
That's not how Paul fought. That might sound really noble, but it's not how Paul operated. He, he did want what was best for other people for them, but he also looked to the reward from Jesus in his future, and that motivated him to work hard, wanting to gain an eternal reward. And Paul's not alone. Didn't Jesus do the, say the exact same thing? Remember what Jesus said when he's going to face the cross? For the joy set before me, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Scripture is saying that there is a reward for a life well lived, and there is a loss for a poorly lived Christian life, and we should be motivated to live a good life because of the promised reward for eternity. And here's the effect that I think, here's, here's why this is so important in our day and age. Because I don't know that we think like this anymore. Why does it seem like so many Christians live inferior lives? Barna does research all the time comparing the real life choices, spending habits, life choices, life choice habits of Christians and non-Christians. And every year in America, he concludes this. There's no discernible difference between people who say they serve Jesus and people who don't serve Jesus. Now, that's across the board, just anybody naming the name Jesus in their life. So I know we might have some disagreement on why they are really saved or not. But Barna looks at it every year and says, I can't find any difference, discernible difference, in the way people live, whether they say they're Christian or not. And why is that? I think it's because they're giving, giving our lives to attaining the rewards of the world. That we give our lives like everybody else to simply attaining the same rewards that everybody else is trying to attain. And I believe Paul would say, it's because we, have, we are not living for the reward that can be available on the day of Christ that extends throughout all of eternity, that a lack of living for eternal rewards causes people to settle for temporary, fading, earthly rewards, and we live just like everybody else. You get what I'm, the point I'm making? That a lack of living for eternal reward causes people to settle for temporary, fading, earthly rewards, the same rewards that everybody else on planet Earth, whether they know Jesus or not, is striving for. And Paul's saying there's something so much better. And Paul's not alone. Paul believed it. Jesus believed it. You know what? James, the half-brother of Jesus, believed it. James, the half-brother of Jesus, looked at to the reward and he wrote this in James 1.12. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. James looked past trials. He looked past temptations. He looked past being ostracized and hated, knowing that Jesus would give him a crown of life, an eternal reward on the day of Christ. Friends, this isn't selfishness. To think it's not selfishness. And that's why people sometimes probably think, oh, it's being selfish. No. This is the way God has established his kingdom. There is an eternal reward awaiting those who live their lives worthy of the gospel. This is intended to motivate us to make the best eternal choices in our lives now. 
We choose what is right and best now that although such a life might be looked down on by others and might even be resisted by people and ridiculed by people, yet we realize that such a life will result in blessing on the day of Christ, the day Jesus comes to evaluate the lives of all people. So we live our lives with an eye on the future, that day when Jesus will judge us justly for the life that we are living today. Today. Paul is telling us that the way we look forward to that day with great anticipation um, for us, that we can look forward to that with great anticipation based on how we're living our lives today. Live lives worthy of the gospel today. Make life choices that exalt Jesus today. Make life choices today that advance the kingdom of God today. Make life choices today that bless others. And he says, that's gold and silver and precious stones. And when the day of Christ comes, you're going to have an eternal reward for it. And look, look in Philippians, that's exactly what Paul then goes on to say. Look at what he says here. Paul makes one more comment as he's talking about the day of Christ. One more comment about what living a Christ-honoring life looks like, a life that leads to eternal reward. And he says this, that it's a life of a life poured out for others. He's saying this is the kind of life that will be rewarded. So he's talking about it. He, goes, he gives another example. Look at verse 17. But even if I'm being poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I rejoice and I share my joy with you all. He's saying, why? Because I'm realizing I didn't run in vain. Paul here is using the imagery of an animal sacrifice. In the Old Testament, when a sacrifice was made and an animal was being burned up on the altar, often wine was poured on top of it, causing vapor to arise. It was called the drink offering. Paul looks at this and his ministry towards others like this. Because others have a life of faith. In this case, the Philippians, were, they were proving the reality of their faith by, by serving God, by supporting Paul. He's celebrating that. But Paul saw his ministry then to them as a blessing on top of or poured on top of in addition to their faith. He was a blessing to them. And this is what he realized by being a blessing to others. He realized that being a blessing to others was costly. What did he say? He says, I am being poured out. I am being used up for others. In context here, Paul is saying, listen, my life is on the line. I'm in prison and I might well die. And we know from history that he ended up did die because he shared his faith, the love of Christ with other people. He knew that living a life worthy of the gospel was costly. Now, that's surely a way to evaluate our lives, right? Again, remember, we're not talking about works gospel here. We're not talking about getting saved. We're talking about once we are followers of Jesus, how do we evaluate our lives if it's a life worthy of the gospel or not? The kind of life that's gold and silver or wood, hay and stubble that's going to be burned. How do we evaluate it? And Paul says, here's one way to evaluate it. Does it cost me anything? Am I serving others? Am I sacrificing for others? Is my life, can I say my life is like a drink offering poured upon the sacrifice of, of your faith? Can you say that about somebody else? That your life is like an offering that's being poured out upon a sacrifice of somebody else's faith? Paul's saying that's how you can determine if your life is a life that's going to result in eternal blessing. That's what Paul's life was all about. And he, was being, he said, I'm being poured out for others. 
And what's he do? He says, and I rejoice in that. Yet he rejoices and he shares his joy with them. How is that possible? He's being spent for others. You think he's ticked. He's in jail. He's being poured out. You think he'd be angry. No. Here's how. He could do that. He could rejoice. Because he knew that a day was coming when he would be rewarded by Jesus for his life well lived. His life of loving sacrifice for other people. So Paul says that in the day of Christ, I will have reason to glory because I did not run in vain. In other words, I did not waste my life on less important temporary, temporal things like everybody else in the world does. Instead, I know I'll be blessed, be rewarded, because I poured my life out for others. Church, that's a life worthy of the gospel. That's gold, silver, and precious stones. That's a life that leads to eternal reward. And Paul is saying, and I am hoping, that that's a life that every single one of us lives, desires to live, evaluates our lives, and comes in line with as we live. None of us, Paul's going to say in the next couple of verses, he's like, hey, he says this, not that I'm doing it perfect yet, not that I've got it figured out, but I'm trying my best to move in that direction. This is not a condemnation. This is a time for evaluation and adjustment. That's what Paul's giving us. He's going, listen, evaluate your life. Because one day, the day of Christ is coming. It's not about salvation. It's about blessing and reward. And we don't know what that's all going to be like, but I know this. Eternity is a long time. (laughs) And I want to receive whatever reward I need and I can for eternity. So what does? It affects the decisions you make today. It affects the decisions that you make today that are going to look different than the people who don't know Jesus because they're not living for an eternal reward. They're living for a temporal reward. They're just living for a 401k in retirement. You're living for eternity with Jesus. We got something so much better. Amen? Stand with me this morning. Let's pray together. Pray with me. Lord, today I ask you for this. Help us to see clearly our own reality. Help us to see clearly and own our own reality. Help us to learn from the Apostle Paul today where he says, I don't really care what other people think about my life. I only care about what Jesus says about my life. Lord, help us to understand that, to be like that, because, Lord, we've been trained and taught to simply live our lives based on what other people think. But, Lord, help us to live our lives in a way that we are really only concerned, primarily concerned with what you think. Help us to live lives where our life efforts, our accomplishments that we know, the things we do and don't do, will be evaluated by you. Lord, we know this. We are not able to, never, nor do we think we ever could, fool you. You know our true motives. And so right now we hold those our true motives up to you. Help us to see them clearly. In your love, help us to understand who we really are and how we really live so we can adjust 
to the best way. Help us to do it now, Lord, while we have life and we have choices. And Lord, help us to live out our lives in a way that that what we do is viewed by you as gold and silver and precious stones. Lives poured out for others. Lives that advance your kingdom. Lives that reveal your love to an onlooking world. Lives that center on just being with you. Lord, that last thought. Lives that center on just being with you. Lord, as we're here today and we're praying and our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed, I know this reality. I'm at church and I'm talking to people, many of whom say, yeah, I've given my life to Jesus. But Lord, I know this and you know this better than we do, that there could very easily be people in this place who have never yet given their life to you. They've never said yes to you. They've never understood that there needs to be a change of of leadership where they go from just being Lord of their lives to to following you because you're God and we're not. And you give us the great privilege of becoming your followers and becoming part of your family. And Lord, I know it's just possible that today in this place that those watching online, there could be those who don't know you as Savior yet. But because I've lived it, Lord, I know this could be possible right now for somebody hearing my voice that that something inside of them is saying that this is exactly what you need right now in your life. That you know something inside of you says, I need Jesus. I need Him to be my Lord. I need Him to take away my sins. I need Him to be my Savior. And today... I want to act on that. I want to say yes to God. The reason you'd be feeling that way right now is because the Spirit of God is working in your heart. He's calling you by name. He's telling you He loves you. He wants to rescue you. He wants you to become part of His family. And so if you know that feeling inside of you right now, the Spirit of the Lord pulling you and saying, it's time to say yes to Jesus or it's time to come back to Jesus. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. If that's you, I want you to do something bold between you, me, and God. No one else because no one else is looking around. I want you to raise up your hand and I'm not going to embarrass you. I promise you. I'm not going to call you. I just want you to make an action. You're going to raise up your hand. I'm going to start on my right. Look across this congregation. And you say, slip up your hand when I see it. I'm going to tell you to put it down. And then the center. Over to my left. All right. All right. Those of you, you can put your hands down. Hands across this place. Those of you on TV, watching online. We're going to all pray together. I'm going to ask the whole congregation to pray this morning. Pray it out loud. And those of you who raised your hands, I want you to to pray this out. There's nothing magic about the words at all. It's simply God is real and He's here and He loves you and He's listening and He's been calling you your whole life. And today He's saying, this is the day that you're going to come into my family and I'm going to change your life. I'm going to let you be on a path 
of living for eternity with me, with God. And so just, let's just pray this prayer together. You just raise your hand. Just pray this from your heart. Dear Jesus, I need you. And today, I come to you and I surrender to you. I ask you, Lord, to forgive everything in my life that's wrong. Wash away the junk and give me a brand new start. And on this day, I declare that I am going to follow Jesus as my Savior and my Lord. So Lord Jesus, I ask you, receive me, and now put your spirit inside of me. Clean out the junk. Make me brand new from the inside out. And help me from this day forward to live with my eyes looking to you and the day you're going to come back. Return to this world and receive me as your child. So on this day, I say yes to you, Lord Jesus. For those of you who said yes today, who raised your hands and said yes, those of you online that are doing that, the Bible says there's a party going on in heaven when that happens. It says their angels rejoice. Moreover, one person who comes to the Lord, the 99 who are already there. So the Bible says a party in heaven right now. I'm going to ask you to do one thing. Before your head hits the pillow tonight, if you said yes to Jesus, I'm going to ask you to do one thing today. Tell somebody that you know that's a follower of Jesus that you asked Christ into your life today, that you gave your life to Jesus. There's a reason for that. Number one, it cements this day in as a monumental, life-changing day. Number two, what it does is it kind of gives them opportunity to see how you're doing, to ask you, hey, how's it going, and, and to help you because here's what the Bible says, that no matter how old you are, when we come to Christ, we're like a baby. We're brand new. And we, babies need help. And the church exists, we exist to help you. We exist to, to aid you, to help you, to give you what you need to grow. And, and uh, you know, we're all just journeyers on a path trying to follow Jesus as best we can, but we can want to wrap arms around you and take you along. And so tell somebody before you go to, before you go to bed tonight. If you don't know another Christian, you come tell me because I want to know. God is good, isn't he? Amen. God loves us so much to give us the opportunity to adjust our lives in ways to come to know Him and to follow Him in a way that when we stand before Him, we're not going to say, but I didn't know. But I didn't know, God. It's so clear. He says, hey, live so that your life is gold and silver and precious stones, not wood, hay, and stubble. Amen? Let me pray a blessing over you this morning. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, amen. God bless you, friends. If you would like prayer, I'll put my mask back on. I'll pray with you up here. Otherwise, God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Christ. Look forward to seeing you Wednesday night at Alpha. 
um, or next Sunday in church. God bless you. Have a wonderful day in Jesus.